Amen. So uh, we are uh, going through Second Corinthians, and I think we're at verse seven now. So um, verse seven through eighteen, chapter three, verse seven through eighteen. So um, if I could get a couple volunteers, read that out loud for us. Did it come out on the chat? Because I got a thing from Matt of the direct chat to me of the text. But did everyone get a copy? Or is it on the general? Yeah. Great. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, Fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, just to kind of maybe place our minds back into where we were, um, uh, Paul actually is, I think, engaged in um, a pretty long digression. Um, up to the beginning of chapter 3, he had been talking about why um, he was not able to come in person to Corinth a second time, as he had said he would. Uh, instead, he sent a letter which we don't have a copy of, right? What I've called 1.5 Corinthians. And uh, he gets to the first couple of verses of chapter three and talks about how I think interested or how important it was to him to see how the Corinthians reacted to that letter. He was hoping to find Titus who has, uh, had spent time with the Corinthians and maybe even had delivered the letter to see uh, how they had processed. But at their rendezvous point, Titus uh, was nowhere to be found. And so um, Paul decides to, to move on to his next ministry location. And as he does so, he does with it with a heavy heart. But as we talked about last time, uh, that faith, that act of faith, 
uh, brought encouragement from God. Uh, the Lord supported him and strengthened him. And we talked a lot about the, the, the procession and the fragrance and, and, and all that last time. Um, and he's been... really trying to educate the Corinthians uh, about, I guess, one way that we could maybe characterize it as form versus substance, right? The Corinthians were um, in a number of ways, uh, kind of enamored with how things looked, how things sounded, how things um, developed, um, and so they were more about kind of the, the appearances and uh, the external kind of um, qualities. And so Paul, I think, is trying to show them what uh, real spiritual substance is, what Christian substance is, right? It's more than knowledge it's more than kind of manifestations it's more than you know even talking about the right things uh, there is a substantive quality to what god does really does and he's trying to challenge the corinthians to put stock put value in that kind of Christian life, that kind of church, that kind of uh, spiritual experience, that kind of emphasis, that kind of uh, evaluation, that kind of assessment, that kind of judgment. Because even with respect to Paul, the Corinthians are kind of judging him on uh, a number of things that are more form, and they are not even interested or have not recognized um, some of the real substance that uh, God has brokered uh, through Paul. Like for example, uh, Paul talks, we talked about last week, but Paul talks about letters of recommendation. The Corinthians were kind of like, looking down on Paul because he didn't use those for himself. Um, Paul uses it for others, right? Because that was a, a main means of helping people along in business or in, in, in connections, even in the church. So it was an important mode of assisting people or, you know, um, um, uh, a means of trust. But Paul, did not have any recommendation letters for himself, right? And the Corinthians were somehow kind of um, unimpressed by that because he didn't have the formal kind of credentialed credentials and, and he didn't look like some of the other polished speakers that blew through town. But Paul points out the incongruity of it and says, I don't need recommendation letters, at least for you guys, because 
it was through my preaching that you guys became believers, that your very existence as a church is proof of my qualifications and my spiritual authority. For you would not be a church unless God was working through me, unless I had substance, right? The fact that Paul um, founded the church and that they were at where they were, where they, they grew to that point, it was inexplicable without the reality of uh, Paul's uh, spiritual leadership, spiritual competence, uh, spiritual power. So it was, they were kind of really being blind to that. We'll talk later, but they're veiled uh, to that fact. And so Paul's trying to disabuse them of their kind of wrong-headed thinking, uh, not only as to himself, but into other areas uh, as well, right? So um, today he kind of, today's text, he kind of focuses on the contrast between what he's calling the old covenant and the new covenant, right? And those are, of course, you know, broad strokes, we can say that's like the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? The old covenant is was, was the Mosaic covenant. It was the, the laws and the promises uh, of blessings or curses given to the Israelites, the nation of Israel, through Moses, once they had crossed over the Red Sea on Mount Sinai. So um, technically the, the Pentateuch, right? The, the, the laws and, and the, the book of the law that uh, God gave the covenant to Moses and the Israelite people. There was greatness in it. There was uniqueness in it. It really was at its time uh, an advanced religious um, an, an advanced religion, right? An approach to God and um, the theological depth of it is it was unparalleled at that time. Maybe even now, it it it, it stands in in kind of high estimation, even among you know comparative religion scholars. Um, but in Jesus Christ, in the New Testament era. He is the new covenant, right? His body and blood, the breaking and shedding, respectively, established a, a new covenant, which you could say you could say it a, a lot of different ways, right? You, you could say that it fulfilled the old covenant, that it consummated it, that it even superseded it, it perfected it, it made the old one obsolete. I mean, you know, there are many, many kind of ways to approach that but uh what paul's trying to i think emphasize here is that the superiority the vast superiority even supremacy of the new covenant over the old and what he's i think saying is that as a minister of the new covenant and He's trying to get the Corinthians to see themselves as a church that was born and has to grow 
as a new covenant church. Um, and yet some of their, I think what he's doing is some of their pride, some of their self kind of um, their ignorant self evaluations are based on kind of the, the form of the, the old covenant. And so he's trying to um, kind of get them to see uh, what's wrong. And, and he introduces it. We would, we, it, it came out, the introduction of it came out last week when he talked about, he's talking about letters of recommendation. He kind of stays on this like letter or, or letter of the law, written law, uh, things that were engraved in stone, just kind of things that are material based, right? Which were special, which indeed were like, you know, can you imagine Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, which he actually broke? But they were inscribed by the finger of God, right? And then, you know, after he broke it at the golden calf, uh, he had to go get a new set. And I think he, I believe that he wrote it. God told him what to write. But be that as made, the, the, the fact that God's, you know, kind of direct um, utterances, what God commanded were, you know, recorded, uh, were imprinted on a piece of stone. I mean, that, that, that's just like archaeologically speaking and culturally historically uh, religiously you know, just you know pretty amazing stuff and yet paul's right he said he says he's saying here that compared to the letter uh, or the law or the things written on stone there's something much better now and that's the law that's the truth that's the gospel that's God's word written on our hearts, right? So substantively, the law engraved on our hearts is superior to the law engraved on stone. And yet the people of, of God, the Israelites, preferred the stone, right? Uh, to them, that was what was more important. And same thing with like the temple, right? It's not mentioned here, but they loved the temple. The temple was super glorious. It was magnificent. It was like a wonder of the world, right? And yet it was just a facade. It was it was a building with a facade. It, it, it was made out of man-made, you know, synthetic material, uh, you know, shaped, fashioned from natural resources. But nonetheless, it was just a kind of a, symb a symbolic presence. Yes, God's, God's presence dwelt, you know, on the cherubim, which was part of the Ark of the Covenant, which, you know, uh, was housed in the Holy of Holies and in the elaborate temple, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, when Jesus came, he says, destroy that temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He redefines what temple is, what the temple was, and it was his body, right? So here we have a living temple. We have a, a walking temple. We have the real temple. We have the actual son of God, not just a mere presence or a symbolic presence or a partial presence. It was the full presence. And he, Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. And so the substance was the spiritual temple, who is Jesus Christ, and a relationship with him, but somehow the veil kept the Corinthians and the Israelites and others from 
uh, understanding that, appreciating that, marveling uh, in that. They preferred, the Israelites preferred the old, the glory of the old temple. But it was obviously flawed because it was raised, R-A-V-E-D, many times, or a couple of times, significantly, and it's not been rebuilt. So, again, the power of the new covenant, the real covenant, the living covenant over the first slash symbolic slash precursor slash shadow slash old covenant, right? Um, is, I think, some of the, the theology that Paul is kind of trying to establish here. Um, this is more, uh, this is less kind of like not, it's, it's not directly applicational to the Corinthians, at least in his writing. Like Paul is, I think, um, really kind of delving into some pretty, pretty deep theology. Uh, so at the end, you know, um, or at junctures of tonight, it, it'll be helpful for us to think about, like, how does this apply to me? Right? How is it applying to the Corinthians? What was Paul trying to? other than just trying to teach them what was erroneous, trying to correct their error, um, how might they and, and we um, kind of incarnate this uh, into ourselves. Okay, now the long intro. Um, I think there's three things for us to like look at. First is glory. Three concepts, glory, second is veil or veiling, and third is freedom. Okay, so um, let's talk about glory, right? Um, can I hear from you guys? And again, I'm on the phone, so I'm not sure. I'll have to guess who's speaking, but if you guys, and, and uh, I guess you can put it on the chat too, but uh, if, what do you see there about glory that strikes you or is interesting or can be made about the glory of the old versus the glory of the new. Are you asking um, like what we um, find striking or just something that speaks to us about the way they describe glory? Is that the question? Yes. Okay. Um, for me, I think the one thing I think about as I was reading the passage is um, it's not a glory. It's like some, it's a glory that God wants us to face like head on kind of. Um, and I kind of got that from verse 13 about, you know, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. Um, I thought that was cool um, that he's basically saying, you know, we're not going to like shy away from it. That's how I interpreted that. Okay, thank you. I guess like um, maybe one of the things that just strikes me is that uh, because it talks about glory so much, it's like, um, you know, it's sort of almost like a, I guess like a hierarchy of glory, glories and um, these are things that because of that, you know, we should be more, um, 
be more, uh, I guess, appreciating uh, these, you know, the the ministry of the Spirit um, more than the ministry of death that came through the law and things like that. Um, but I guess I just, I guess for me, it just I, I don't think about glory that much. I don't think of it as something like I'm, I'm really. You know, maybe I should more that I that I want to like bask in God's glory somehow. Like um, maybe you know my my own thinking or perspective is like too earthbound, and and the things that I look for from God are are much more sort of human level. Um, but uh, I think, and then the, you know at the end, but I really I don't know this verse the verse. Uh, do we go to, yeah, verse 18 has always kind of struck me, though, just that it's not only like by seeking God's glory that, you know, because of God, because God is glorious, we, you know, want to seek his glory or because the ministry is the spirit is glorious. And so that's, you know, that's something that we we want to look to. But it's like as we, you know, gaze into God's glory and are, I don't know, just kind of, um uh, in its presence or affected by it, that we somehow become changed by that and that that glory somehow becomes, I don't know, not only part of our experience, but like we we emanate that somehow. I don't know. It just is sort of um, um, always uh, made me kind of think, but haven't really fully understood like how it how it plays out in like my own Christian life, I guess. A lot of good stuff there. Anyone else? Okay, um, so uh, I guess, sorry, maybe for one point. Um, so I guess the way I was reading it is that, you know, how I was saying in the beginning that even as glorious as it was um, through um, Moses and how the Israelites had to cover his face from the glory that was radiant from his face. I guess in comparison to that, how much more it, it is that it will be glorious when each of our face, I guess, or each of us are a reflection of God's glory, like how much even better it is that through Christ Jesus that we are the imitation of um, God's uh, the image of God and his glory. Mm. I'm not sure that makes sense, but that's how I read it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Alice has thought I'm going to hold off or let's revisit that when we talk about veiling. Um, but some of the stuff that Peter said and Matt said uh, about kind of the, I guess the source of glory or the hierarchy of glories, I think the term Peter used, right? So, um, I, I was thinking like as an analogy, thinking about the moon and the sun, right? Like the moon is uh, like the old covenant, sorry, young Amanda, the, but it's the old covenant where it's, you know, beautiful and it, it's, it, it's illuminative, um, but it, it's, uh, it, it's not its own source, right? It's, it's the reflection, um, <clears throat> it's the light that comes from the sun that, uh, you know, lights up the moon. And there's just a lot of great things about it, but that's the glory of the old covenant. But the glory of the new covenant is, is Jesus himself. And so he is the sun. He is the source. He is the glory. 
And so Paul is trying to, you know, point out, I guess, the obvious that the, 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 the love or the embrace or the refusal to let go of the, of the, of the old covenant hinders their understanding and appreciation and, um, and kind of devotion, right, to the new. Right? That is, the, you know, God's final word. That's God's, you know, re re redemptive uh, plan. That's his, that's his answer to, to the world is he sent his son, right? And his son in all of his glory um, for us. So, you know, the son's glory, Jesus's glory is paramount. Uh, and then... Um, It's a new day uh, that we no longer, uh, uh, so the believers um, now can directly reflect the glory of the sun. And so I guess um, like a mirror, we can be mirrors, which, you know, if you catch it at the right angle, it's I think brighter than the moon. Um, we can reflect the glory of God if we let it, if we are submissive, if we understand it, if we align ourselves, if we change, if we want it, if that's important to us. So the hierarchy of glories has to include like almost a desire component. I think what, trying to take my analogy too far, is to say that the, the Israelites or the people that he's saying has a veil over their hearts are trying to reflect the moon, right? So the sun to the moon to themselves. And, ooh, this is great. You know, it's, it's, it's ethereal. It's, 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 it's wonderful. It's romantic or whatever. But it's nothing compared to actually reflecting the sun, right? Or the sun. It's, of course, the sun is the highest um, picture or expression of it. So I, I think that um, how I want us to take the application, right? And, and I think that's... Uh, some more of what Peter said is, um, at, you know, to ask the simple question, am I reflecting God's glory in my life? When I look at it, when others look at it, when God looks at it, am I a mirror or am I like, you know, a black object that's just kind of sucking in the rays or hot, <laughs> you know, giving off, uh, we emanate heat or, or whatever, but um, we're not we're not reflecting that that, that sunlight that, that we're not reflecting um, that glory. Like when you know, literally, when I look at my face, I don't see enough times the glory of God. I, I just see like I don't know anxiety and kind of diffidence and kind of you know bitterness and age. <laughs> right? Can't help that one, but. You know, our, our face, you know, you, your and my literal faces, you know, we're, you know, we don't even have Christmas joy sometimes, you know, in Christmas. We don't re reflect kind of like this passion for, for, for God's message and for God's love and God's forgiveness. We don't, we, our faces don't reflect like we even want to be uh, at certain places. We don't want to be at work. We don't want to be at home. We don't want to be with family. We don't want to be at church. We don't want to be with other people. Right? We're glum. We're hopeless. We're 
we're self-absorbed, we're self-pitying. And so, you know, we got to get our mirrors out or something. We have to fish around for those things and, you know, not squander this opportunity that God gives us to be, you know, direct reflections, to be giving off the light of Jesus to others. Right? What's written on your, on your face, on my face? Pandemic worries, I mean, we can't help it. I understand that. But at, at least is there that prayer? Is there that desire? Now, this is where, you know, we got to talk about externals and internals. I'm not suggesting that we just have the form of reflectivity, but, you know, inside we're like somewhere else. You know, I want us to be consistent. So I'm saying this in, in kind of that, with that assumption that our insides and our outsides match. But, you know, um, we shouldn't reflect always anxiety over the pandemic or anxiety over, um, you know, what's going to happen or fear or um, apathy or, you know, being frustrated or being fed up or being unhappy, right? I mean, if that's the way we are, that's the way we are. Again, I, I prefer that we didn't fake it. I don't think God wants us to fake it. But my point is that I think God wants to, um, did Peter say, bask in God's glory? Yeah, he, if we would pursue to bask in God's glory, God's light, uh, I think the, the way the theory goes, the way it's supposed to work is that those things are, are chased away. Those things are, are kind of melted or burned, whatever needs to happen. But, you know, uh, our faces are, are not very glorious. Mine's not. And um, well, we can explain or, or, or kind of have rationale for why that's the case. But in the light of verses, you know, these, these, these verses, I don't think they hold water before before God. Right? So to ask Lord, you know, help me. I, let's just start with the fruit of the Holy Spirit: right? love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Right? If that was on my face, if that was what my life and my character and my conduct and my actions and my thoughts and my words and my interactions and my relationship and my, you know, what I think about when I wake up and when I think about when I you know, go to work and what I think about when I, you know, um, clean the house, whatever, if that would reflect, <clears throat> uh, I, I think the, uh, that really would be the proper, um, if the fruit of the spirit was evident, that would be the proper, um, you know, the glory, right? Uh, that we are being transformed. Like it says in verse 18, transformed into his likeness, whatever glory. Okay. Um, so Alice has already helped us with the veiling part that we should not veil. Any other, um, things that you guys want, you see, especially in verses like 12 through 16 about veiling or veils that, um, you want to share with us? Uh, it seems like in the Old Testament, the veil kind of dulled their senses. And so, like, in the New 
Testament time, when you turn to God, the veil is like pulled away. So it's almost like a, I guess it's like a way of like dampening or or kind of like, like if you were to wear a veil today, it's kind of blocking out light or something. So it's kind of like in the Old Testament time, kind of blocked them from God. But when they turn to Jesus, that kind of gets pulled away. Yeah, I like that. That's an awesome word, Matt. Dampening. Thank you. Any other uh, observations from you guys? Okay, um, I I, um, I think it would, it helped me to think of it as kind of a, a two way, so both ways. So a veil which um, keeps others or uh, keeps me. Uh, let's start with me from really seeing the glory of God. Right. So I, I don't know if Paul is kind of, um, let me say this carefully, criticizing Moses a, a little bit. Right. Um, but he, so he, he seemed to be saying, he seems to be saying here that Moses put a veil over his face, verse 13, to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. So um, somehow the, it could be, read as Moses put a veil so that the Israelites didn't really know what was going on with the glory. Like it almost suggests that Moses didn't want to show them that it was kind of fading away, that the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant was whatever. It wasn't really helping them as much as he wanted them to, to, to think. I think that's, Probably not right to say that. And some commentators uh, said that, right? But if we read the actual account um, of, of this, what Moses did, um, it says that the Israelites were afraid of God's glory. Like Moses shone so much, like, you know, like, you know, like, see light, like pouring out of someone's head, like a, like a space <laughs> alien or something. Right then, they were so afraid that Moses had to veil it to protect them or to not make them afraid. But I wonder if the suggestion here is that in the process of kind of veiling it so that they wouldn't be afraid to assuage their fear, what ended up happening, right, was that the veil kept the Israelites to to keep the metaphor in the dark that. Somehow there was something in the way, there was, there was, as Matt said, a dampening effect. So that when God spoke, when God did, when God moved, when God really was trying to, you know, fire up the Israelites, it had kind of like a, a more of a, a kind of a depleted or, or diluted effect. It was dampened, right, by the, the full power, the full radiance, the full glory, the full effect kind of didn't impact the Israelites as it might have. Now, I'm not, I don't know what Moses, else Moses could have done, right? Um, I, I chalk it up to like, sometimes in our efforts to solve one problem, we jeopardize something else's value. So to prevent this, we end up having to compromise that. Like we throw the baby out with the bathwater and we lose something in our effort to 
fix something. And that's so true in relationships. That's so true in everyday life. Like, you know, um, you know, trying to fix something in the house Uh, or, um, you know, systems and structures and, and, you know, our government, like we, we, we try to patch this hole and, uh, you know, in the process, we tear something, you know, even more important or central or, 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 or necessary. Right. And so I wonder if that was, it's kind of what Paul says later on about like sin um, took advantage. So like, let's say the, the unbelief or, or whatever we want to call it, the faithlessness of the Israelites took advantage of the veil and made them even less faithful, something like that. Um, but so, you know, Paul is saying here, there should be no veil when um, we need to see God's glory, when we need to understand God, when we need to relate to him, right? We need to draw closer to him. I mean, God, you know, <laughs> the curtain was also called a veil, right? It's a different face, facial veil versus a curtain, big veil. But it's the same idea, or it evokes the same imagery that Jesus, when he died, he the the temple the veil in the in the in the curtain in the, in the temple the holy of holies uh, that separate the holy of holies from the holy place um, you know tore in two it split it to you know signify that access to God was wide open you know therefore let us approach the throne of grace with confidence with boldness right in other words there need not be any longer anything hindering us, dampening us from going to God and from loving him with everything by for from us throwing our 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 everything, throwing our lives, throwing our love, yeah, just pouring ourselves out uh, before God. I think that kind of abandon, that kind of like all in inness. I think that's um, a major uh, issue for for me and, and maybe for you. I think for a lot of Christians these days, I think it's compounded by the, the pandemic because, you know, the things that, you know, were secure and, and, and kind of stable before are all kind of up in the air now. And so, you know, things that we didn't have to worry about, we have to worry about. And so we're like, if I do this, if I give it to there, if I go all in to that, you know, am I going to have enough to, you know, protect or to be responsible for what I have to be responsible for. But um, somehow, right, uh, there is a veil in, in our understanding or our commitment to God. Um, we are not fully, wholly, um, completely right, dedicated. Uh, we are not that living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12, right? A living sacrifice is consumed. Right? It's consumed. We're not consumed by our love for God, but what Jesus has said, what the new covenant establishes is that it can be, right? It really should be. That's what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to do. Right. And then let's go to the other side. Um, what Alice, I think, I think this is how I interpreted her interpretation was that we shouldn't veil what God is doing in our lives, right? We should, you know, we should 
you know, we talked about the glory, but we should, you know, reflect the heck out of what God's done and, and given us. We should give him credit. We should let the world, we should let everybody know who really is the Lord of my life, who really has done all this, who's doing all this, not holding back, right? Not, I don't know. I keep thinking of we're playing modest or not um, exercising your gifts. Uh, now, this is potentially tricky because in our effort to honor God and give God credit, glorify God, sometimes either it's an unwise uh, or, or it could be a misunderstood uh, kind of manifestation or expression. Or there really is kind of some confusion in our minds about who really who really did this, like who accomplished this, who should get the credit. So, you know, Paul says also, Corinthians, he talks a lot about humility and boasting and glory. And he goes, you know, whoever boasts, let him you know, boast in the Lord. So almost he's saying, it's good to boast if you're boasting about God, but don't boast otherwise. But trouble is, in our unveiling our, you know, our fruit, our abilities, our success, our testimonies, our all that good stuff, we can draw undue attention to ourselves because we're not clear, right? There's a, a mismatch in our own minds and hearts and conscience about whether we really believe God did it. Um, do we really give him the credit or, you know, is it, you know, kind of, because I'm, I'm okay. I'm actually pretty good. I'm actually dang good. Yeah, there's this kind of, it could be a quiet confidence, but still there is this seed of pride to do that. Right? So I think that some of the glory that we reflect or some of the glory that we show the world is prideful. We are not, um, we, we like, we think we're better than others. We, we think we're better than each other. We think we're better than our spouses. We're better than um, our, uh, our parents or better than our leaders. We're better than uh, others who serve. We're better than our, our government representatives. We're better than, you're better than me. I'm better than you. You know, that kind of, there's that kind of subtle kind of, uh, confidence and to me that is we thereby I think displace or maybe even extinguish or snuff out you know the glory that should be given to God right so we in our veiling okay in our you know expressions we by not really acknowledging the source we veil others from seeing god and what we're doing is we're showing ourselves right um i don't think that works in the long run right? eventually it'll catch up to us eventually it'll the 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 weakness of that the the flimsiness of that kind of spiritual life will show Right, that we really, you know, credit ourselves or we think we're something. Um, you'll see that in 
the family will be shaky, the friendship will be shaky, the spiritual church will be shaky, the the even the professionalism, your 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 career will be shaky, your life will be shaky, right? Because we're we're kind of you know ultimately living a lie. We're saying, I did this, I should get credit when um, those who have experienced a new covenant really have to confess, uh, must confess that it's all God, right? It's glory to God. It's wh- whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's it you know G- only Jesus, Jesus alone. And I think our both blatant and um, more subtle, again, I use that word, more nuanced, how about that, attempts to... Um, you know, get some credit or to get some kudos um, to show ourselves to be even tiny bit better than others. And that really can um, veil uh, the glory that, that God has um, freely given us, right? So to, yeah, to kind of identify that veil that I'm kind of putting up, that I am hiding that I'm um, whatever again Matt's were dampening the God's reflection you know uh, that ways in which I cling to my own significance okay uh, finish with a short thing it doesn't say much about it so I don't have much to say about it so I hope you have a lot you have more to say about it but freedom how do you guys uh, take that? concept or that uh, idea there that why does Paul um, talk about freedom here? What's he trying to say? Um, I think if freedom comes uh, because of the veil is removed. That means uh, I guess there's a direct knowledge of uh, God's will. And then so um, if so, so if we know what where you know what God's will is, and uh, we obey it, and when we do things, and then there's no fear. I guess that's kind of their freedom. Because yeah, we, yeah, like we have a clear, we have a kind of a direct knowledge of a God where God what a God's will is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, this, um, along the lines I was thinking. So uh, well, let's revisit that. Thanks, Hanfei. Other um, contributions about freedom? I guess um, I just, I guess I wonder if it's connected to, you know, sort of, again, like comparing the ministry of the law or that came through, you know, what was written in stone that brought death and contrasting like the ministry of the spirit as being something different. So I guess bringing, you know, freedom from that, that bondage or, you know, whatever that um, brings us down and leads to death eventually. Um, And I guess like, I don't know, I guess it just, um, where my mind keeps kind of going is to this, like this question of the transformation that the ministry of the spirit is like a, like a transformative power that, that brings a, 
of freedom and, and life and you know something that's um yeah much more glorious than than the preceding i guess covenant mm. yeah yeah I, I i find that helpful um i'll, I'll uh if, if, give uh, another chance for anyone else to add but i'd like to, to speak on that too So uh, about what Peter said, um, I was thinking, yeah, the, and this just might be my kind of my own lens, but I think in general, the old covenant, at least the way that the Israelites took it was um, kind of restrictive, right? The, the, the thou shalt nots and kind of like, you know, the legalism that, that was kind of uh, rampant and, and it probably um, you know, one of the one of the big things, the heresy that Paul had to combat was, you know, Judaizers who said you have to keep the law, which was kind of like that. Whereas the new covenant and, and relationship with Jesus, the ministry of, of that, the Holy Spirit's work is uh, liberating, right? We 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 do it not because we're we're coerced or compelled or forced or commanded to, but um, because we want to, because you know we're driven by love, and, and love is free. Um, so I, I think there's that dynamic going on. Um, but uh, in addition, uh, taking what Hanfei said, um, so I, I kind of stumbled in my own trying to work it out. But like verse twelve was helpful to me. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So. I wanted to kind of meld the idea of boldness and, and freedom, right? So um, I think what Paul, is, I think this is what I heard from Hanfei is that as the veil is removed, uh, not only do we have the knowledge of what God wants us to do, but uh, we have everything. We have this just mind-boggling this blow away kind of um, reality that we are, we can look at the sun directly, <laughs> right? That, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to, you, you're supposed to blind you, right? If you look at the sun too long straight away, like that's why you can't, you shouldn't look at an eclipse and all that kind of stuff without shades or UV protection. Um, but he says, Paul saying, look, you guys, we are, we see the, 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 the glory in, in, in its fullness, the Shekinah glory. And what else is there? What else do you want? What else do I want? It's all there. Everything that we need or, or could ever want, you know, if we're, if we're substantive, if we have spiritual substance, is found in the new covenant. It's found in what Jesus has done. I mean, he... It is finished, he said, right? And so we have that like right there. That's ours to have. And it's mediated through this. So I think the, 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 the kind of the, uh, kind of the, 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 the dematerialization or the uh, kind of uh, what the spirit does, right? The spirit in contrast to the earth or the earthly things, right? Uh, the sinful nature um, in the same way when we think about the uh, ability of the spirit to be like ubiquitous and um, incorporeal and, and just can be anywhere at any time. Uh, 
um, that kind of liberation is, is, I think, what he's trying to evoke or, or kind of uh, convince the, the Corinthians that they have. Like, let's stop worrying about the stuff that you guys are, uh, are you know, um, kind of weighed down with. The, the, the small, the petty, the, um, the, the, um, the things that are so uh, kind of temporal, right? Uh, limited. You know, that's all insignificant now. It, 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 we need not, uh, you know, trifle with them. They're, they're trivialities compared to what the, ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So live that freedom, right? You, we, we've, we've come up upon, like, the, uh, the, the key to all doors. Right? We've found what everybody ultimately is looking for. Um, this is it. And, and so why live under the yoke of legalism or why live under, um, you know, earthly rules, earthly values? And so the word that Hanfei nailed, I thought was fear, right? Here, fr- the opposite of freedom, not always, but here, the opposite of freedom is fear. Because we're afraid of God, because we're afraid of others, because we're afraid that we're doing the wrong thing. We live small lives. We live pathetic lives. We we live weak lives. But when we're like given unlimited love and we're given this kind of access and this kind of power, this kind of enablement, this kind of opportunity, this kind of glorious ministry, this kind of responsibility, let's go for it. Let's let's be free, right? And, you know, I'm the first one to you know, worry about precedent and, you know, want to be consistent and make sure that, you know, everybody's happy, which, you know, uh, it's not easy to do. And, and I have my own self-imposed constraints or things that I've learned or things that I feel from others, feel from you guys and stuff like that. But I think I we need to find that gear where... Um, you know, in, in, in the core of who we are, you know, I'm free in Jesus Christ. I'm free to be a child of God. I'm free to reflect the sun. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm free to be glorious because God is glorious in me. Just to kind of break out. I don't we want to break out? I mean, I, COVID to me is just like, I feel like the COVID spike. I'm just like this like ball of like spikes and I'm kind of compressed and like I'm looking about who to infect and stuff. I just want to like, wish I could just like blow up and just like, you know, like disintegrate that myself and, 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 and be free, be honest, be, be joyous, um, not worry. Um, just love God and be loved by God. Love you guys, love others, be loved by others, you know? Uh, it's hard, it's hard, but um, yeah, this, uh, this passage is interesting um, uh, f- for um, I think um, the the sense of what kind of Paul, the, the the I don't know. I just feel like Paul is like really revving, revving, vroom, 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 right? And then, like it's time to 
like, you know, peel away and like, you know, um, cruise the, the, uh, the Hawaii countryside in a convertible, you know, with Matt, Matt and Diana. God has given us such grace. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we took, a, I think, a pretty dense theological passage and tried to understand it in general and maybe make some applications. Um, so I pray that, um, that these things, the glory of God, reflecting the glory of God directly, and not um, diffracted or refracted or bounced off uh, multiple objects uh, or our attempt at our own glory, our silly, uh, smelly human glory that we can really um, put the pile, the veils on top of that and uh, burn it, burn it up, burn it up or something, make a bonfire out of it. We can live free lives, uh, free in Christ free in love, free in relationships. Uh, please give us this grace as you've, I think, um, have done and, and are willing to do again. Um, we thank you for uh, your word that um, can uh, both uh, expose, but also to disinfect our hearts and to heal, heal those hearts. Um, we praise you, and uh, yeah, we give you that glory that you've, you've given to us through your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.